The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Have you ever wondered what happened to Lance Von Erich? Find out in his new book, Lance by Chance, Wrestling as a Von Erich. You'll read stories about Chris Adams, Ric Flair, and Billy Jack Haynes. And of course, the Von Erich family themselves. Get your book today on Amazon. listening to the Russellville podcast i'm your host Vinny berry and my guest this episode is brian johnson professional oh, no, Vinny, oh. Vinny, no no the mecca brian johnson uh every single nitwit that asked me to be on their half-ass podcast tends to make the same excuse so if you could fix that please thanks Vinny. you're listening to the Russellville podcast i'm your host Vinny berry and my guest today is the mecca Brian Johnson, professional wrestler of three years. Oh, much more, my friend. Uh, three years that everybody talks about, but I've been grinding at this thing since 2006. Your okay. research is is, uh, is as spot on as your style, clearly, by what you're wearing. So, Brian, talk to me a little bit about what is it about professional wrestling that you like so much? It's it's captivating, man. It's it's nonstop energy. Um, I think there's a, a group in society who maybe thumb their nose is the term at, at pro wrestling uh, that don't understand it, that critique it without even giving it a chance. Uh, I truly believe that if you take any individual and you take them to a live pro wrestling show, like in the crowd, at any independent show worth a dollar, they'll enjoy themselves at the very worst. They're going to have a fun night, right? Like that was crazy. And they'll talk about the fat guy or the girl that did the splits or the giant, or it's, it's the greatest show on earth, man. And and as a kid, I was just absolutely captivated by it. Uh, They're like superheroes, but not like nerds and capes. You know what I mean? Right. No, I that I know, (laughs) but I'll tell you, I I am a huge fan of the independent scene. There's something about it, right? I mean, you mm-hmm. could be the last one in the door and there'll be no seats, but wherever you're standing is a great view. I mean, it's the the venues are smaller, uh the uh the crowd's really into it. The the wrestlers are up close and personal. I mean, you you can literally talk to them afterwards if if they yeah. if they're want to or if you want to you know i mean it's 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 a more intimate scene than you would go into a huge arena exactly and even and then and then sometimes those huge arena ones right like um they're having television shows that they're producing for right so there's starts and stops and and commercial breaks or whatever that bullcrap they got to go through for live tv right whereas uh the independent scene it's like you said intimate it's almost like being at a home game for your sports team, but like a hundred percent your team. And it's only like 40 of the fans inside this like packed bar instead of like being at the stadium. 
uh, it, it's just a wild atmosphere. I, I think everybody needs to experience it once. And don't discredit any of those big ones either. Like a live event for, for any of them is well worth your buck. You can't compare to the production values they have. You know what I mean? So uh, all across the board, whether independent or professional, I think a live show is something that people need to see. It's a way better atmosphere than an NFL game live. That's for sure. Right. And then at, at the larger shows, I mean, you're you're going to see the superstars of all superstars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you go to the the independent uh, independent shows, you, you may see two or three people who've, you know, have a have a pretty big name or, uh, you know, there might be the draw, as you would say. Right. So. Yeah, but you get to see. I I like what you said earlier too. Uh, that was a good point. You know, you'll remember the big wrestler, the 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 person who did something silly. I wanted I want to tell you a story. I took my wife to one of the shows uh, here in Texas. To uh, uh, she was helping me sell my books, and uh, we went up to uh, Mission Pro. And my wife is not a fan of wrestling. She was just with me because she wanted to go camping that weekend. And uh, we went to uh, the show and she couldn't stop talking about uh, Rochelle, Rochelle Chanel. Okay. The girl with the the comb. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mm -hmm. she thought it was hilarious when she came out and started combing the referee's hair and things like that. It was like, and now she'll ask me about some of the women that she saw that night. And that was the last time she's watched wrestling. And that was a year ago. Captivating characters. People want characters, man. Yeah. So how did you get started in professional wrestling? You told me about what you liked about it, but what was that journey like for you, Brian? Um, So I grew up a fan always. Uh, I have an older brother. He watched wrestling. So it was easy. I had like VHS tapes I could watch when he was at school or whatever. You know what I mean? Like I was just obsessed with it. I couldn't get enough of it. Uh, I remember when Raw came out, I wasn't old enough to stay up late. So my parents would tape it for me. And then WCW Nitro came out and they would do like the 8 to 10 Nitro. And then Raw was 9 to 11. So I would watch the first hour of Nitro and my parents would tape Raw for me and then retape the replay of Nitro. And every morning I'd get up and rewatch it Tuesday. I'd try to get up sometimes before school on Tuesday. Uh, yeah, I was like all about it. It was my, it's all I could think about. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, nerds out there say, I got bit by the wrestling bug. Uh, but I digress. I ended up going to train out in uh, a place in South Jersey known as Old Time Wrestling. It's owned by uh, Jim Molino. He was a senior referee at ECW and uh, Ed Atlas. He was a decently traveled independent guy. I don't know if he ever made a big name, but he had a big impression on my life. And uh, he had his certain ways of training. That were Ed, and uh, they stuck with me for uh, better or for worse throughout my training. And then kind of split off down the independent road until, uh, you know, Ring of Honor picked up, I guess. What was that that experience at Ring of honor for you what was what was that like there are a lot of talent in there who were some of the people you worked with and and what did that mean for you to be a part of that roster so i don't know if i've 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 divulged this conversation as much but Vinny, uh i read your book so i know you need good stories based off the last ones i read so i'll give you a good one here pal uh i actually grew up a die hard 
cut my blood for WWF. I won't watch another damn thing till Goldberg came on. Goldberg was cool. I watched him. And when he lost, I stopped watching WCW. He was my guy. Uh, but besides that, true and blue. Like, I, I could tell you nerdy crap from the second match of SummerSlam 89, right? Like, just, but Ring of Honor to me didn't exist. I wouldn't watch it. It was, it wasn't the brand name. But as I started training and learning professional wrestling from a different side, not from a fan side, not from a household side, from the wrestler's point of view, and was able to appreciate the, I hate saying grind because it's such like a, a D-bag word to say. All these kids, oh, I'm grinding. No, you're not. You're like taking one selfie at the gym because you have to. Uh, but the grind that those guys were putting on back then, uh, not just like the hustle from town to town that Ring of Honor was doing then, but like the matches they were putting on night after night. I mean, those guys were bringing back 30 and 40 minute classes, classes on a nightly, weekly basis. Something you hadn't heard about since like the days of Flair or the NWA territories being toured. You know, like 30 and 40 minute classes nonstop. And, and they really just like took over my attention. So um, they, you know, as time went on, I felt like I was ready. They uh, do these Ring of Honor tryout camps, and I attended one of them, and it went well, and yeah, I kept in touch and floated around, you know, stayed in front of them. All the stuff you do in wrestling, you keep present. Um, you don't get ready, you stay ready. And then they had a dojo open up in Baltimore. So uh, I was invited down to their private dojo for uh, private training with hopes of signing a contract, and obviously all that prevailed in life was – great if you know working for ring of honor is considered great uh I'm, I'm kidding in a way there's some great veterans there but there's a lot of losers there like uh dak draper i had to deal with the entire time with the dojo he's just like six foot eight guys from colorado he's probably one of the most annoying individuals i've ever met in my life so that was pretty miserable having to deal with dak draper all the time um con and uh, Moses, SOS, they're two big guys. They started MCW, uh, two of the hardest hitting guys, but you would be shocked if they've ever washed their gear. So that was miserable at the dojo. I'll be honest, most of my time at the dojo and starting Ring of Honor stunk. I hated everybody that was around me. Was there anybody that might have influenced your career or someone that kind of uh, showed you the ropes or shared some knowledge with you? I think there was a lot of people that felt like they needed to put their arm around me at Ring of Honor. Maybe I became, in, in some people's eyes, a, a ticking time bomb. Uh, they thought I was flying off the handle a bit. And P.J. Black, you know, the man with the bionic knee and the bionic mind, uh, he's he put his arm around me and offered to help out. Now, uh, I was reluctant because I don't know if you ever spoke to that weirdo. He's all about doing these stretches and third dimension crap and yoga. And that's not me. Uh, so as I was able to unwrap that goofy crap, the Dare Wolf actually wasn't half bad. And uh, if I was to credit anybody at Ring of Honor with my development or where I am today, I'd, I'd have to give a big nod to, to PJ Black, despite whatever mountain he's doing like pull-ups on with his eyes closed or some stupid crap right now. He's the only guy I know that's considered intelligent, but wants to jump out of working planes. I don't understand it. And, and he is somebody who's been around wrestling his whole entire life. I mean, from the, from the day he, he was born. Yeah. But I mean, listen, PJ's great and all, but who does dad ever beat in South Africa? Come on. 
Seriously, who's who's the best wrestler in South Africa? Yeah, you're great, man. At least PJ made it over here. I'll credit him for that. Not a lot of tough guys in South Africa. Moving along a little bit, talk to us a little bit about what what went down when Ring of Honor sold. What was that experience like? I mean, uh, did it catch you off guard? Were you shocked? Were you disappointed? Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, it was the worst day in my life. You grow up and you hear from your parents that, you know, you can live your dream, right? But how many losers actually do it? You all go to grade school or high school and you get told you got to go to college and get a job and a wife and a kid and a yard and all that crap that society deems like a checklist for your life. Like uh, you have to do these things and we get engulfed in it and you lose track of these dreams, right? Well, I didn't. I didn't go to what society wanted me to and have some wife and some lovely family and give my parents all these grandkids. Heck no. I wanted one thing since the day I was freaking born. And that was to be a professional wrestler at the highest level. And there's no higher level professional wrestler than Ring of Honor. They're the best wrestlers on the planet. And uh, my contract, I didn't lose it. Like how many assholes before me in this profession screwed up time and time again and kept their job, right? Like I didn't screw up. I didn't do anything wrong. You know, the company had, you know, money issues and they had to fix it the way they decided to. Now, do I blame them? No, they did everything they could to pay us throughout COVID. And I appreciate that. I, you know, that's an admirable thing. But in the end, you know, the ends didn't justify the means. They couldn't pay the bills. So I lost it because of some national pandemic. I lose my dream. That's BS. And I'll be honest with you, man. Uh, for the first couple of months, it sucked worse than I could explain. But there's been a fire lit under me. Like, I can't I can't even tell you. And I think this is my first podcast I've done in 2022 because I'm sick and tired of sitting back and waiting. Uh, now that worst day in my life no longer woes me, but it's pissing me off. And uh, I want to get back to where I know I need to be in wrestling, and that's the focal point in professional wrestling, that I was going to be at Ring of Honor, and then I know I'll be at any top company. It's just a matter of getting my stuff out there for people to see. And uh, that's what this starts, and that's what uh, – Hopefully the future is for me moving forward. You know, we were talking about Ring of Honor and and you you were there for a while. Where are some of the matches that maybe stand out in your mind? Some of the, the matches or the guys that you okay. had some competition with that you really, really liked and, and brought the best out in you, Brian. So I know this is uh this is probably a cliche answer that everybody at Ring of Honor say, but Holy crap, wrestling the Briscoe brothers is something else, man. They, and it was the first match back uh, from the pandemic with the live crowd. We were the opening match on pay-per-view, best in the world. It was uh, surreal. The Briscoe brothers are another level, man. Uh, and all their family was there, so like it was really hard. Uh, I'm really good with cardio, but it was harder to breathe. Because, you know, they're, they're far, I know they all lives on a farm, so the stench in the building was real tight. It was terrible. It was like horsemen were everywhere. Briscoe's families, but I was able to, you know, stay ahead of the game and be as athletically sound as I could despite that literal crap. Um, but the Briscoes were great in the sense of what they bring to the ring besides their, their family. I had a really good match with Dragon Lee. I've never wrestled Lucha in my life, <laughs> period. I don't really understand it. I understand it's a different style, right? Um, but it's not something that I'm well-versed in. So that was a challenge 
that I had to prepare for that was different. And that guy is like a rocket. Holy moly, he's quicker than a hiccup. So keeping up with him was incredibly hard. But uh, what, what helped, you know, really keep my mindset for that, I happened to see him without his mask on right before we went out. Horrible buck teeth on Dragon Lee. One of the ugliest mugs you'll ever see. So that really put me at ease right before the match. I was lucky. There's a lot of these advantages. Ring of Honor has these great wrestlers, but there's always these little tweets of like weirdos. That's why they're, the, you know, at Ring of Honor. And a lot of nerds are out walking around that place. Like Matt Taven was their world champion wearing purple spandex for months and months. Come on. So what are your plans moving forward? What? what, what well, listen, I understand I call you by guard and people don't understand like because I say these things directly. Um, and they're matter of factly, Dragon Lee will never question me on his buck teeth, I guarantee you. Um, but what I'm going to be doing moving forward, um, after the pandemic or and Ring of Honor closed, I was um, lucky enough to get my foot in the door at MCW Pro Wrestling. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar. They're probably in some way, shape, or form one of the top 10, top preeminent independent promotions in the country, right? I don't know how you rank these things, and I probably wouldn't agree with them anyway. But I was, I've been able to get my foot in the door there and uh, I'm making it a mission to turn that bad boy into Mecca championship wrestling. And they got a lineup of studs coming up at that place. Some uh, real good young talent, but they always have, you know, they produced the Leo rushes of this world. So uh, uh, they, they, trust me, they're, they're chalk full of even more talent. So to be involved with them, probably my first and foremost goal at this moment. Uh, but that's just what I'm currently doing. It's not what I'm, going to be continue doing you know the goal is always bigger and better things right uh and wherever that may be that door's open uh i'm not going to sit here and blow smoke and tell you i'm showing up tomorrow or the next week but uh i'm also uh in the process of hoping to pop up some places so this locomotive is going to be screaming and yelling from philadelphia on forth pretty darn soon my man uh and when i am and it's set uh trust me Vinny, you'll be one of the first to hear about it. You know, I am familiar with the Maryland Championship Wrestling. There's been a lot of people come through there. Who are, who are some of the uh, uh, the big names that you know of? You you mentioned Leo Rush. Can you think of anybody else? So um, the Hardy Boys got a lot of work there, I believe, when they first started coming up in the independent scene. Um, guys like Joey Mercury. Um uh, Lita, Mickey James, a lot of these guys came through the territory when they were coming up because MCW has always had these great connections. Uh, I don't know who they're with. Everybody I talk to at MCW seems fairly dumb. So I don't, at least from the management side. So I haven't figured out who's doing that connections, but somebody there's got them. Uh, and not just the connections, you know, uh, the East Coast was so full with talent back in the day on the independent scene, right? Like it was so hungry and there's so many good spots that, uh, the guys that really wanted it were up and down the coast looking for it. And those guys are the guys that made it and became the big names that we know today. Uh, but if you look at the lineage, I think even like King Kong Bundy's come through there and Jerry Lawler and like every top names come through, even if they hadn't gotten to start there, it's uh, it, it really is a who's who in pro wrestling. I don't think they get enough credit MCW. They're not so much of the, um, what do you call it? Social media crowd. Like they don't have this like uh cult following with hashtags and bullcrap that a bunch of people that don't know anything about wrestling can talk about you. Uh, they seem to gear more towards the local families here and they crush. It's an awesome atmosphere. 
Yeah, they obviously have a, a good working formula. They've been around for a while. They've had a bunch of names come in there. Who are who are uh, some of the uh, younger talents or some of the guys that we may not be real familiar with that are wrestling there now that, that are talented? Besides you, yourself, of course. Well, you guys know who I am. That's why I'm on this podcast, Vinny. I, I apologize. I'm getting a little choked up, not from tears. Like, I just... The thought of this guy puts a bad taste in my mouth, but I'd be wrong if I didn't say he was talented. Ken Dixon, uh, he's a guy who um, drinks bush beer and lights trash cans on fire, right? Yeehaw, and loves his Applebee's. Uh, but he's done it the same way I have. He's loved this crap, and he's grinded for a long, long time. And Whether or not his stride's something that I've grown to appreciate, he's really hitting it. And uh, I'd be, uh, you know, if you're going to be able to knock me off the ledge as much as he has, he's got to at least be pretty good. So I'd be wrong if I didn't say Ken Dixon to start. And he leads that locker room. And I think um, locker room leaders in pro wrestling today are not existent because there's a whole lot of dorts that can't take criticism uh, in this world. And Ken doesn't care. Uh, you can check your shit at the door. And uh I wouldn't say I respect Ken. No, I'd, I'd, I'd much rather definitely see him walk into traffic. But uh, if I had to put a name to a talent at MCW, I'd be wrong if I didn't start with Ken Dixon. Uh, now that I can move on from that piece of dirt, uh, there's a young kid there. Uh, he's a little flashy, a little cocky, not my cup of tea, but this guy, Miles Hawkins is pretty darn good. I don't think a lot of people know his name. There's another guy. Uh, he claims to be Miami Mike, although it looks like he has no tan, so I don't know if he's just sitting inside at Miami or um, he's a fan of the Heat before they got LeBron James with, you know, Hassan Whiteside, but he's a pretty pale Miami guy, but he's pretty good in between the ring. Other than that, I hate most of the guys there. There's this guy, Dante Caballero. He's like their longest reigning champion. He, like, barely speaks English. He comes up and tries He tries to give me his pace sometimes to sit and talk to me in the locker room. Dante, complete, complete bozo. Yeah. But, you know, MCW, right? It's, it's good to hear that you're making friends over there. Well, you know, it's just tough. Like I said, these people don't like when you're direct with them in pro wrestling. You've even said it to me in the few times we were trying to schedule us. How many guys duck and dodge phone calls, right, or can't be direct. It's a, it's a way of expressing myself that I think comes from my roots in Philadelphia. Uh, our fan base gets critiqued by these national pundits for throwing snowballs at Santa, but they don't look into the fact we were getting beat by 40. It was 20 below. The guy was wearing Giants uniform underneath the Santa crowd. Yeah, of course I'm going to throw snowballs at this crappy product. So we're brash. We're up front, right? And when I see something that I think is – uh, not what it should be in this great sport pro wrestling that I love, I will tell somebody because you're disrespecting the sport that these guys that you wrote two books about busted their ass for, uh, guys that I really respect, uh, maybe not like, but respect that their grind have busted their ass for. And I think that we've gone too far the other way now where we've let so many people come in and be a part, but not earn their part. I'm okay with everyone earning their part. Right. You got to work hard. Everybody deserves to earn a spot. But I feel like it's gone from never given a spot like it was too protective to now everybody plays ball. And I think the directness of me has got me in trouble. And people don't like my attitude because I tell them how it is. Uh, 
But quite frankly, that ain't going to change uh, because that attitude got me here and it's going to get me to where I want to be. And that's the top of the wrestling world. Brian, where can people find you on social media? Do you hang out on social media? Yeah. My Twitter and my Instagram are BJO underscore Mecca, M-E-C-C-A. Uh, I'm on a little bit of a social media cleanse, not pro wrestling only, but social media in general can be, uh, let's avoid headlines and just say it can be a handful, right, my man? And uh, I'm taking a little bit of a cleanse, but I'll, I'll be back and I have some stuff I've been sitting on and working on in the interim. But when I do come back, uh, I'll be rocking, uh, rocking and rolling. Do you have any final words for our listeners? So if you're a listener of, uh, of Vinny here, uh, I'd like to let you know a little story. Uh, I was sitting at home uh, trying to enjoy myself, and unfortunately, PJ Black called me. Uh, I didn't answer, as always, and then he called me immediately thereafter, so I had to. Uh, he said he just got done some crazy yoga session on top of some rock, and he had a vision that I needed to do this podcast with his friend. And the last thing I wanted to do was this podcast, but he insisted, and that's what brought me to Vinny. Uh, so Vinny, uh, according to PJ, he's been one of the best catalysts in my career, whether or not I want to admit it or not. But if this is the, uh, the same kickoff, like it was when I got the little bump from PJ a few years back, it'll be the first time ever that I'll say, thank you for having me. But, uh, if it doesn't, I uh, now have all of your contact information and you will get a very worded email from me. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. I appreciate that. Yeah. Pleasure is all yours at the moment. You're listening to the Russellville Podcast, where wrestling lives. Tracy Smothers, Harley Race, Tim Storm, Bushwhacker Luke, Bobby Fool. The Pro, Pro Wrestling, Wrestling Vault, Vault Volume one. 1, Bill Dundee, Supermix Hernandez, C.W. Anderson, Ricky Morton, Sir Moe, and many others share their stories of determination, triumph, and, and sorrow. sorrow. Get your book today at Russellville.com or at Amazon.com. Russellville, Russellville. Wrestling, wrestling.